Sustainability and environmentalism are important aspects of today's policy, industry, and general life. I'm Annabelle Banks, your host for today, and during this episode of Do Good Well, we are joined by Master's in Sustainability student Jackie Jurgensen to discuss the permaculture movement and its importance for the agricultural industry. Jackie, welcome. Um, and before we get into the permaculture movement, can you just give us some background on like what a monoculture is and what like the harms of monocultures are? Yeah, of course. So monoculture means the cultivation of a single crop. Um, so this is very different from how nature works, right? We have a lot of different plants in an area, a lot of different communities, whether it's animals, bacteria, whatever it is. Um, So in monoculture practices, we have a lot of tilling of the soil, which really depletes the soil of nutrients, right? Because it disrupts these communities. If you ever like driven out in the Midwest or whatever, and you see all of these like huge, huge lands full of corn, just corn and nothing else. Like that's kind of what we're talking about here. Um, During the green revolution, we had a lot of people and like scientists who were saying like, this is going to maximize our produce and our profits and stuff and they're coming into these farming the you know the farms and everything and saying that we're bringing these this machinery that is going to disrupt the soil so that they can only plant one crop they can clear the land and plant the one crop even though this was really good like in the short term of just maximizing the all the crops and the profits like long term we're depleting the soil the nutrients like I said now we have to put on these chemical fertilizers they run off into our waterways and stuff, cause a lot of pollution, um, which is really hurting the populations that are doing the farming. And also now with all these chemicals, these same companies are now genetically modifying seeds to withstand those chemicals. So it kind of creates this like, now the farmers need to buy into all of this stuff, the machinery, the chemicals, the seeds, and they just lose that individuality or just being able to like, you know, do these things themselves and it's just really not sustainable. So farmers are essentially being like brought into this cycle of having to use chemical pesticides and then genetically modify their crops because of the idea that, you know, we need to just mass produce one crop and that's not actually how the world works. Yeah, and it's funny how you mentioned a cycle, right? Because the way we look at monoculture is more of like linear inputs versus like nature would be, more cycles, right? You have these crops that are covering the land, the roots kind of keep the soil in place, they allow for water to infiltrate. So they have all of these like natural processes that are sort of interconnected, and they keep the water cycling, they keep nutrient cycling and stuff. In a monoculture system, we have less like root cover. So now we have a lot of like runoff of water, we also have a lot of erosion, and that's taking away a lot of soil. And now we have to like add in like these chemicals, like we said, right, that are just being um, produced artificially, and it's not really cycling through. Okay, so now that we've, like, addressed the issues of monocultures, what exactly is a permaculture? What is its significance and importance, especially in our, like, ecological environment? Yeah, of course. So permaculture, um, like quite literally means permanent agriculture. Um, it's really the idea, it's an approach to agriculture that balances like nature and human needs. So it's a way more sustainable system. And permaculture itself is not, there's no one way to do it. It's going to be very specific to the area and what that area is like the climate is and what 
you know, geography, the landscape, it has to do with all of that stuff. Um, so right now, the way that we look at our farms, we need to really restore them because we're losing the soil, we're losing the nutrients and um, all of these ecological processes that sort of maintain it, right, without so much human input and so much labor. Um, so really what we want to do is restore the biodiversity that we had in these areas and the soil health will come with it, right? So we want to stop disturbing the soil, stop disturbing the land. We have a lot of farmers that will actually encourage you not to weed, to just see what does well, see how, you know, naturally what, what um, crops will do well and to kind of like incorporate that in your own work, right? We also like don't want to use like fertilizers, any artificial like chemicals, pesticides, right? Another approach that farmers will use is to use like biocontrols. So let's say we have a huge wasp population that's killing off all the bees and you need these bees to pollinate your plants, right? Instead of introducing an artificial chemical pesticide that's gonna, you know, it might kill off the wasps, but it might not kill them off in the long run because of, you know, genetic resistance. It may also like contaminate the food chain, right? Whatever's eating the wasps can now get sick and pass that on. Um, instead, we can introduce like chickens, right? Because they, they will eat the wasps and now chickens are happy because they <laughs> have another food source and it just stabilizes those populations instead of like going in with these chemicals that can cause all of these other problems. So these are things that we can do as at home as well if we want to like grow our own crops instead of just having it be for farmers. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have a huge backyard. I have a very like, you know, little backyard. So I'm not introducing any chickens, but um, there's a lot of things you can do. Like I was experimenting this summer to see like which crops would do well um, and just trying to like find different plants that have different purposes in the environment. So like one good example that we have from a lot of indigenous people in North America is the three sisters. So that is your, your squash, your beans and your corn. And so those three crops really go hand in hand because you have the corn that's growing tall, it's gonna shade over the squash, which is great for them. Um, the beans that are growing are actually gonna fix the nitrogen in the soil for the other plants. And now they have a stalk to climb up that tall corn plant. So those three work really well together. And it's finding like those, those relationships in your own garden and in your own plants that you want to grow. Thank you for including that example. I know that I've also heard about that in the past, but thank you for actually explaining that a little bit more in depth. What other examples of permaculture can we um, see? Yeah, so um, a good one would be incorporating a lot of like flowers, right? You want to um, like black-eyed Susans, I know are great, cone flowers. Those are great like pollinator plants. So they're going to bring in those good pollinators, your bees, your birds, and even bats, right? Um, some plants are better at getting other species than others, but all of those, incorporating all of those into like your veggies and your fruits and whatever else you want to like grow to eat, it could be a great thing just because it'll um, encourage those like natural processes of pollination. So we also 
also have examples of permacultures at Binghamton, especially with the BU Acres Farm. Can you explain a little bit more about that and how like the Binghamton community is also helping? Yeah, of course. So I took an agriculture class a couple of years ago. My professor, Sean Cummings, actually runs the BU Acres today. Um, he hosts a lot of work days, but what he's trying to do is really incorporate a lot of these like permaculture practices um, with the local Binghamton environment and trying to figure out like what works best. Something that we did um, last week was we were like taking out a lot of weeds and stuff um, just to make room for next season. We're going to do a crop rotation, which means that you're moving some of the plants um, to a different part of the farm um, because of the effects it may have on the soil. So it's really beneficial because maybe one plant like the beans, right, will fix nitrogen and then now that soil is nitrogen rich. Um, now you can move other plants into that plot to kind of benefit from it. And what you'll notice too at BU Acres is that there is a lot of diversity in what is planted and it's not just rows of the same thing. You have a lot of um, different plants that are working together. Um, there's a lot of pollinating plants. It's really, really cool. And it's such a pretty place too. <laughs> right. So everyone should go visit BU Acres, basically. We just plug that for. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've mentioned nitrogen a lot. So what exactly is like nitrate poisoning and why is it harmful? I know that there have been instances of that happening, especially out in like California and in the Midwest. Um, so can you just give an example of that and how now it's being fixed. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually really researched into this one community um, in California called Easterosi. And it's a majority Latino farming community. It's a very, very small town. Um, but basically their issue is that they, a lot of them are living in poverty. And so the only jobs that they have out there are farming jobs. Um, they are using these practices, these monoculture practices, right? And the way that, you know, when they're spraying these pet uh, fertilizers, um, nitrogen is supposed to help the plants grow, right? But now we're spraying an excess of nitrogen onto these plants. And what's happening is that the rain is carrying, like running off into their water systems, their aquifers, right? They're pulling from the groundwater. The more water they pull from groundwater to irrigate the plants, it's lowering the water table. And now when you have nitrates that are running off into this water table, there's less water to dilute the chemicals. So their drinking water now has very, very high concentrations of nitrates. Um, so the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, um, has a limit for about 10 parts per million of nitrates in, in uh, drinking water. But honestly, like this isn't a great limit. Like we see a lot of problems starting at five milligrams per liter or parts per million, um, including like blue baby syndrome. So nitrates actually affect like the available oxygen to the body. So it can stop um, a lot of babies from breathing. There's also like a lot of other bad symptoms of like nitrate poisoning, which is like getting nauseous, having diarrhea, vomiting, dehydration can cause thyroid disease, which, you know, leads to fatigue, hair loss, all of this stuff. And a lot of these families in Easterosi are seeing this like in themselves and in their own children. And it's really sad that they are really, the work that they have to do 
to make a living and put food on the table is causing this. And it's really, a, it's a more systemic issue because that's, on, that's the only thing they have available. And it's really a tough situation because it's hard to implement more water treatment plans and systems and stuff when they don't really have the money to spend on it. So what is actually, do we know what is happening to help kind of mitigate this problem, not just in East Erosi, but like across the United States? Yeah, so there's a lot of different problems that arise from monoculture, and we're seeing that manifest in a lot of different ways, depending on the area or depending on the, the plants or the fertilizers. Um, the biggest thing I would say, like long-term is to really start implementing these permaculture practices to start bringing biodiversity back, restoring soil health. But honestly, like I understand this is a very like long-term thing that, you know, just by implementing these practices, it's not gonna solve, you know, your pollution issues overnight. So I think a lot of it has to come from the government, a lot more like we need a lot more like federal funding, state funding to go towards these projects of um, getting people clean water, um, really like improving the water treatment systems that we have. And what we see like in this community, Sorosi, that a lot of the people are living in poverty. They can't afford to have their taxes raised because they're already paying so much money out of pocket for, you know, water bottles or gas money to go to different towns and get water. We can't ask them to pay for this. This is this is really a human rights issue and we need to invest in more things that will protect the people. Well, thank you for highlighting this issue just because like I wasn't really aware of this. I don't know how many people are. Um, so now that we've seen how permacultures work, how they've been implemented in our campus community and how they will be kind of moved beyond that, how can we, and I know that we've discussed this a little bit, but how can we start to implement permacultures in like our everyday lives and how can farmers start doing this as well and moving away from the monocultural movement? Yeah, so it's important to understand like there's a lot of like barriers to this, right? Permaculture, even though it's not like a completely new thing, um, I feel like now there's starting to be um, a lot more information that's made available like online, I, th I think the internet is such a great resource. I think just working with other gardeners and other farmers and seeing what works for them and just being able to communicate on that level instead of, you know, with these big companies, these big corporations, um, even if they say they're doing things more sustainably, I think it's more important on the, like the individual and the community level to kind of come together and really learn from each other. I think we can also learn a lot from indigenous people and their indigenous, like the generational knowledge that they have. I think that that's been dismissed for a long time in this country and in Western society. And I think we need to move past that and really work together. And yeah, I think it's just important to like listen to each other, just try, experiment different things and yeah. So building community is important. And we talked yep. about the three sisters form of cultivation. So if we yeah. take that knowledge from um, indigenous people, especially in like whatever area 
right in because they know what local crops grew mm-hmm. um is there any other like initiatives that we can just take in like our home lives um i think just just have fun start start growing stuff <laughs> you know i think like personally i'm trying to like move off of um relying on businesses so much for my food and like this summer so we actually we also have a seed library at uh, in the sustainability hub at Binghamton that's located in the science library so what you can the idea is to take any seeds that you want to grow you can grow them on your own and then hopefully if you have a successful season you can donate those seeds back for the rest of the community to use um, in the following season Um, so what I did I took a bunch of seeds because they're all free I'm just gonna try a bunch of stuff um and I grew a couple things and a couple didn't really work but I got a really nice basil plant and the other night I made some pesto and it was really really good (laughs) so I was like really proud of that but now I know like for next year I can plant basil in it you know it might be successful but just like little things like that I know here at college too like I don't really have I don't have a lawn or a garden, but even just growing stuff in your window, you can still grow these herbs and flowers and stuff. And it's nice to look at, but you can also eat them. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you for also highlighting that. I didn't know that that existed. So you really just highlighted that we can build a community around sustainability. Um, Thank you for really sharing your knowledge and being a part of this episode of Shorts today. Um, I think that's all that we have for this episode so everyone can join us next week for a new episode of shorts 